Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Hammond. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. I have not said this introduction in a couple of weeks, but we are back. Uh, We're on the bi-weekly schedule. Uh, Last time around, I chatted with Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. And as much as I enjoyed that conversation, it is good to be with some colleagues again. We got the one and only Anthony Slater with me on the West Coast. Slater, what's up, sir? It's going to be weekly soon. I mean, this season, it feels like it's getting closer and closer to the start of the NFL season. I watched week one yesterday, and I'm like planning a preseason trip to Japan, essentially, in like two weeks from now. It's insane. Oh, nice flex, buddy. Nice flex. Well, we don't, we don't need mean, to hear about you know, that. I'm just, yeah. that's yeah. the start of the preseason. I don't know <laughs> Meanwhile, a dude who has not slowed down all that much since we saw him last in person at the Summer League in Las Vegas, John Krasinski on the show today, the man in Minnesota. John K., what's up, brother? What's up, fellas? Good to be here. Hoops are almost here. I can't wait, man. Let's go. So for the readers and the listeners who uh, somehow are not familiar with John's work, he's a a man of many talents, not only on the NBA Timberwolves beat in Minnesota, but jumping off the Vikings beat to hang out with us today doing the NFL thing as well. You you ready to transition? You, you, You good with that pivot, brother? I'll do what I can, but you know, it's purple fever around here. So I'll try and uh, divorce myself from it. So I have a question. How are yeah. you going to uh, cover a Viking Super Bowl run and a Timberwolves NBA Finals run at the same time? Like, <laughs> how, is this, how are you going to handle this? The good news is the finals don't happen until June, as you are well aware, and people in Minnesota have no idea about. So um, we can we can break it up a little bit. I might need a little bit more of a break in August uh, next next year, but we'll we'll rest when. Uh, when I need to, I, not often that you get some success around here. So you got to take advantage if it, if it Twi- unfolds Twins are slacking. If the twins could just get going, it would be golden time in Minnesota. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves with all of that success around here. So we got to kind of dip our toes in the water and just like deal with some playoffs first and then see what happens. Yeah. Let's not get ahead of ourselves later. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today though. On the Timberwolves front, we, we wanted to talk about, Obviously, this new Rudy Gobert edition, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, rising star, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, new extension, Chris Finch, their their coach, a couple years in now trying to do his thing, um, but contextualize everything with John's kind of one-of-a-kind prism. Uh, we are also, once John ends up heading out on this pod, going to get into some issues around the league 
the uh, in-season tournament that appears to be more real than ever, uh, potentially starting in the 2023 season. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, since we have not addressed that on this particular pod. So let's go down the Timberwolves road, John. Um, There's a couple layers to this thing. As you know, and I want to get into all of them, you know, everything from what it means for this team and how the early stages of their integration are going. You had a really interesting talk with Chris Finch from Africa when he's over there with Basketball Without Borders. Uh, I thought that was pretty enlightening. But then you had the league-wide stuff, right, where, you know, Tim Conley coming in, wasting no time that the Wolves' new executive previously in Denver and and the ripple effect of the choice he made to give up as much as he did in the Rudy Gobert trade. Next thing you know, the Nets are having a heck of a time getting decent offers for Kevin Durant. You know, I think it, it had a, an impact on the market across the board. Um, but start here. Uh, mood in the moment in Minnesota. I know it's the offseason, but the fans have got to be getting excited for what, you know, our fav- favorite phrasing and on paper – looks like a pretty talented team. How's the mood? Yeah, I, that's what I would say, Sam, is, you know, I've covered this team for 18 years now. Um, and so I have some pretty good historical context on expectations, on kind of excitement level and things of that nature. And uh, I can say with confidence that this is the most excited this fan base has been for a season since even maybe going into that 0304 season where Kevin Garnett took him to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, for the most part over the last two decades, it's been a franchise that has been kind of an embarrassment that has you know kind of had all this dysfunction and drama. And even the the first Jimmy Butler year when there was so much excitement about it, the Wolves were coming off of a season that was really underwhelming under Tom Thibodeau the pre- the previous season. So people were excited about it, but they didn't know what to think. They weren't sure about sort of the leadership of the franchise at that point. Now you have a team coming off of 46 wins, a team coming off of a competitive playoff series against Memphis. And then they added the one guy who covers up so many of their weaknesses. They, they desperately needed rim protection and rebounding. That's what killed them in the Memphis series. And they went and got the best rim protector and rebounder in the league in Rudy Gobert. And then you couple that with the excitement around Anthony Edwards, um, the excitement around Carl Towns, the excitement around Chris Finch and Tim Connolly being really capable leaders for the front office and the coaching staff. And um, it really is palpable around here just how pumped this this community is to see what these guys can do because it's not a it's not a team that has very often stole the headlines in town for good reasons and i think that this team is built to do some of that this this season coming up do you guys think that the and sam mentioned it in his you know i guess lead up to that question but i know it's been kind of a prevailing thought over the last couple of months that you know, the Gobert trade and what the Wolves paid for it had set the market at such an unrealistic level that that affected the the Durant talks and maybe even the Donovan Mitchell talks. I kind of think maybe Brooklyn used that as an excuse to try to keep Durant in the building. And, and if they actually truly wanted to trade him, uh, they, they could have pulled the trigger. But I think all along we're trying to draw him back in. And then Donovan Mitchell got traded. I mean, and it probably wasn't for a full Gobert package, but it was a good package. I just... I don't know. I I think as we take a couple steps back from the summer, I think the Go Bear trade, while seismic in size, and and we'll get into all the different ramifications of it. I don't think it's as like 
uh, defining as as people thought it might have been. Yeah, I, I do think that there there is something to that Slater where the Nets wanted to hold on to Durant. They don't they didn't want to blow it up, and so they were motivated to dig their heels in. And yeah, I, I think that maybe optics wise, they had to make sure they exceeded whatever package they could that that the Wolves gave for Rudy Gobert. And the Wolves privately have kind of said, you know, this was not a, a an intention of ours, but if we kept Durant from coming to the West and getting in our way, that's a nice little side benefit. But again, like I think I'm I'm with you. I don't think that it necessarily was the overwhelming spoiler that maybe some people did want to cast it to be with Donovan Mitchell. You're right. He got traded for a little less. There are people in the league and certainly people within the wolves that believe that Rudy Gobert is more impactful than Donovan Mitchell. So they don't really even feel bad about paying more for Rudy than, than the Cavs did for Donovan, even though Donovan is younger. So um, all of those things are in there. They, you know, it, it, there, there's no question, I think. And, and I think even if you got people to have some true serum within the, the Wolves organization, they might say, yeah, we may have overpaid a little bit for Gobert, but they felt that he was the one guy that they, that could raise their floor enough to catapult them into the playoffs again, because if they had stood pat with the roster and brought it back as is, they were worried that they were going to slide out of the playoff picture, or at least be in the play in. And they did not want to do that. So uh, they just really felt that this is the, the guy to come in and, and shore up a lot of their weaknesses. Now it's going to be a hell of a, of an experiment to see how they do it and to see what it looks like, not only in the regular season, but the playoffs. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, they, they do feel like, Maybe it was a slight overpay on their part, but they feel like it's going to pay off in the long run with what he can do for them for the short term and the long term and just bringing more legitimacy and more consistency and stability to an organization that hasn't had any of that for the last two decades. As a uh, quick reminder, as far as the trade goes, um, you know, four first is what the the price was for Rudy, uh, three unprotected, one top five protected, along with Five players, uh, you know, one of which we'll, we'll talk about later. Patrick Beverly pick swaps to, in there. One, there's one, one pick swap. swap. Oh, yeah. I love the pick swap. Um, okay, yeah, you're right. And then as far as the comparison, you know, Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland, three first, two pick swaps, three players, including Colin Sexton, with that extension. Um, I think I, I respectfully disagree when it comes to you guys and how you see the market. I really, I think it's pretty legitimate. I mean, I think it gave Brooklyn a nice out when it comes to the Durant. Uh, situation. But man, Rudy, if you had to cherry pick one player in the entire NBA who, you know, I think is so consistently debated and it's very divisive when it comes to the impact he has on the floor. And John, you just kind of alluded to it. There are a lot of teams who look at a guy like Rudy and say, no, his, his peers have him wrong. His peers don't understand how impactful he is. And then Slater being the guy who covers the Warriors not long ago that, you know, I mean, Draymond Green just makes it a living out of just well, kind of dragging Rudy when it comes to the way he is covered and perceived and the fact that Draymond just doesn't think he's nearly that good. Just I think, adds another layer to this Warriors-Wolves. Like, kind of, they need a playoff series, don't Let's they? Let's go, I man. Mean, they really do. I'm ready. I, I, they do. And I, I'm my hesitation there is not very nice. I, how, I mean, how hard is Draymond going to try to make Rudy cry in that series? <laughs> <laughs> That's, but that is the thing. And then, so as far as the trade market goes, 
I think it did create this environment where, you know, the, the Nets didn't have to get everything that Rudy got, but I think it, it dampened things a bit. Uh, Basketball-wise, John, and I'm drawing a blank on whether or not you and I have actually talked about this in depth at all yet, but like, where do you stand on, you know, on this debate that's been so interesting going in about, you know, going big again when the league's going small, you know, and more specifically because you have such a good read on Carl, um, how he feels about this experience and this experiment. Yeah. I think first of all, on the, on the, on the bully ball or whatever you want to call this configuration, it is, it is different. Um, and it is kind of zagging when a lot of the league is zigging. And I kind of like that as an approach in general, but only if you're going to go about it this way, the reason the warriors were able to sort of take over the league from a small ball perspective is because they had two hall of fame, elite level, small ball shooters and a hall of fame defender like Draymond together to make that work. Um, you know, the, the wolves are not trying to go big with Brooke Lopez and Andre Drummond up front. They're not trying to, you know, put two, you know, okay or good centers together up front they're putting two of the best three or four centers in the league together up front and so um i think when you bet on talent like that i think it's possible or i think it, the possibility of it working is a lot higher and we also have to acknowledge that you know you look at cleveland you look at milwaukee you look at philly you look at some teams that are starting to play a little bigger again i don't think it's quite the anomaly um, around the league that it might've been three or four years ago or four or five years ago when everyone was just really trying to get as small as possible. Um, so, so they have that part of it too. And then on, on the Carl front, um, he he's in this point of his career going into year eight where he's taken a lot of bullets, um, as an empty stats guy, as a guy who doesn't affect winning, um, as that kind of, you know, uh, criticism over and over again. And I do think that he is in the mindset now where he fully understands that the best way for him to sort of get out of that is just to win a lot. And Rudy will give him that chance um, to win a lot more than he has at any other point in his career with the Wolves. And he believes in himself that he can be out on the perimeter defensively and be at least good enough so that they don't just get absolutely shredded. Um, and so he is all for playing that position, and he's all for what he's going to have to do next season, which is shoot probably eight threes a game and and, and just launch to give spacing around Rudy and, and and let it fly that way. So he's coming in with a good mindset and, and a good approach to it and kind of more of a, of a desperation about himself just because he hasn't won at a high level yet, and he – takes all of the criticism for whenever the wolves don't, don't win. It usually falls on his shoulders. So he wants to turn that around. And I think that that attitude will give this a better chance of working than if he was coming in begrudgingly on it. Carl, Carl Towns hit 153s last year on 41%. I mean, and as you were mentioning the difference in like, you know, it matters which bigs you're pairing together, not just the fact that you're pairing two bigs together. I mean, he's, He's an elite three-point shooter. He won the three-point contest. Yeah. Right? Yep, the three-point um, champs. Yeah, so that matters. I think they're going to be a good regular season team. I mean, Rudy Gobert has proven to be just like a regular season defense, top 10 defense by himself. 
Um, I think they have young, you know, I think Edwards is going to have a really good regular season. They have stuff to, to, to work out and we can talk about them, but if they are a good regular season team consistently over the next several years, that is uh, an argument in their corner for the trade because they're going to be trading away 22nd pick, 23rd pick, 25th pick, not that valued pick. So, um, I'm kind of confident that these picks potentially won't be as valuable as it may just seem. Hey, Minnesota Timberwolves unprotected picks sounds very tasty to teams, but they just might not be that good. But I, I, when you talk to people around the league, or at least you know the, the people I've talked to, they're what about the playoffs? Rudy Gobert yeah. has his playoff defensive issues. You just wonder about they're they're paying whatever combined for Townsend and Gobert. I mean, it's you know almost probably five hundred million combined over the next like uh, you know half decade. Um, what are you going to be able to have both of them on the floor at the same time? in the second round, in the West Finals, in the NBA Finals. those Where the Timberwolves want to go, can they survive together? And that is, to me, that is the biggest question, and we won't really get an answer for a while. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's it, Slater. We, we won't be able to see it in, you know, in Summer League. You know, you guys all know that I, I think that outside of the Kevin Durant conversation, the Rudy Gobert conversation was one of the most, you know, hotly – debated topics of anyone like any executives any agents any players coaches I was bumping into is oh what do you think what do you think and there were a lot of people that have some real doubts about the ability to uh for for that tandem to sustain deeper into the playoffs um we will see about that because I I mean I I do think that Rudy has more talent pure talent around him now than he maybe has ever in his career Um, with Towns, with Edwards. Jaden McDaniels is really, really good and will help him defensively more than any Utah Jazz player has ever helped him defensively. D'Angelo Russell, if he plays um, better in a contract year, um, that's that's good. They have some good depth behind the starting five. And so um, Rudy isn't going to be the reason that they go to the second round or the Western conference finals or something like that. But he is, I think a guy who will get them into the playoffs and, and for all the people who don't pay that much attention to the Timberwolves, if they make the playoffs this season, it will be just the second time in franchise history that they've made two seasons in a row. Like, like they had, they made seven in a row with, with KG, um, but other than that, the only other time they've been in the playoffs is a one and done with with Tibbs and Jimmy and then last year. And so um, what what the Rudy acquisition does for them, they believe, is they think they have a star in Anthony Edwards who's going to be eventually one of the very best players in the league. And they want to put him in as many meaningful games as possible going forward. First round, second round type of thing. And when Rudy Gobert's contract is over in four years, Anthony Edwards is going to be 25 years old. And, and so like they hope that that acquisition will at least get him the experience so that when he's 25, he is ready to just take this thing all the way over and, 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 and carry this thing forward with cat and, and, and go that way. Um, and that's something that towns never had here early in his career in Minnesota. He didn't have, uh, good teams that allowed him to play in meaningful games and and get that experience. And so I think he suffered because of that. And they just don't want that for, for Anthony Edwards. And they believe, you know, if they get, they get to the second round of the playoffs, it'll be the second time they've ever done that 
ever in 33 years. So Slater, you you hear John you just sliding in breaking news in there. You know, John Krasinski, resident Minnesota expert, <laughs> doesn't think that Rudy Gobert at the age of 35 years old will opt out of the $60 million option in his contract. <laughs> hey, by then, right? yeah. Yeah, I think I can go ahead and report yeah. that he's going to pick that one up. Yeah. Well, by, and by it, then, it, is, is $60 million like a little bit more than the mid-level? Yeah, that's I mean, right. Where, where yeah. 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 Hopefully exactly there's a right. ripple effect in the, in the sports media landscape, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I think that, let's segue and pivot a little bit there because I bring up the age thing and I want your guys' thoughts on this. I find their new core to be really interesting when it comes to age and timeline where John, you said it, Anthony Edwards very quickly has become the centerpiece of all things. Timberwolves cat, incredibly important. You have a 21 year old, a 26 year old and a 30 year old in Rudy Gobert. Um, and I do like, especially a small market team. And as you know, for years and years, you and I have connected when it comes to, I live near Sacramento. The Kings have a lot of similar themes to the Timberwolves when it comes to, you got to overpay in trades. Like you guys talked about earlier, you got to overpay in free agency. Everything comes a little bit harder. So I like the idea that they gamble and they want Anthony to have high profile playoff action early in his career. That's going to help him. But what do you guys think of just from a human personal dynamic standpoint, how that age kind of staggered timeline works in a locker room. Yeah. I mean, I think like from my perspective, um, I, th- I think the wolves need uh, an adult in the room. Uh, you know, at, at some point cat has to, you know, he's going into year eight, so he will have some of that leadership obviously. And, and he's been around the block, but he has not been in a lot of high leverage playoff situations. Rudy Gobert has at least played in more playoff games. One of the big keys to the Timberwolves season last year was Patrick Beverly coming in with some real, um, you know, he's a grown man. He's had real experiences and he was able to kind of lead those guys in a way um, that they really responded well to. And so now that Beverly is with the Lakers, um, the Wolves are hoping that Rudy has kind of a similar effect on them as, as just this battle tested guy, this grown up, this adult that knows can hold people accountable and, and, and can, can knows what it takes to win in the regular season. And then certainly just at least get to the playoffs. And so um, I think that's a good thing for them. Um, And I think it can, you have to have some balance. I mean, you can't be all the, all young, you can't be all old either. You have to have a little bit of mix of both. And so I think the wolves have that there. You mentioned, uh, Beverly. Uh, Beverly, to me, would be the perfect point guard for this team, right? He right. doesn't need the ball. Uh, he defends. He's you know, probably defends better than Rudy Gobert has had out on the perimeter, right? That was mm-hmm. go. That was the, the Gobert defenders over the last few playoffs have said somebody's got to stop the ball so he doesn't have to keep collapsing. Beverly's the type of guy who does that, uh, and he hits threes, and he never runs pick and roll. My concern on this roster right now is D'Angelo Russell. You mentioned it, thirty one point three million uh, expiring contract. Um, Edwards needs the ball more than he probably has ever got it as he ascends. Towns is still needs to be a high usage. Gobert, I guess you could argue maybe the second unit is like a D'Angelo Russell Gobert pick and roll lob type game because he can't throw the lob well. So maybe that is Russell's role. But I just wonder where he fits because if he is not a high usage pick and roll guy, he's as I mean you saw McLaughlin right in the late in that mm-hmm. that Memphis series it was like oh, you should probably get him on the floor instead of Russell. Um, so I just where do you see? that kind of uh mix right now yeah it's a it's a big 
season for D'Angelo because, yeah, you know, like you said, at game six, the must win game against Memphis at home, the last five minutes of the uh, of the game when the Wolves needed to come back, D'Angelo Russell was on the bench and it was McLaughlin running the show. Um, and because, because he was getting the team into better shots, he was running, he, he was playing more up-tempo and all of those things. And so, um, D'Lo knows, and I spoke to him at, at, at summer league that this is a kind of a prove it season for him because he obviously wants to get another big contract and be solidified. He said he would like it to be here in Minnesota. Um, but he's going to have to show some real consistency and, a, and an ability to quarterback an offense. Um, I thought he had a really good passing season last year, actually. Um, but I do think that decision-making is going to be a thing that is really harped on with him when he gets others involved, when he looks for his own shot, when he you know kind of does his own thing. He has been very, very positive um, throughout this summer and into the fall here now with the situation. I think he's on his best behavior, trying to um, make the most of this. He does believe that playing with Rudy as a traditional pick and roll role man fits his game better than playing with, you know, cat in terms of a pick and pop guy. And so there are reasons to be optimistic about it, but yeah, he has to show it. I think like that he's going to be the X factor for, is this a team that can, go deeper into the playoffs or are they just maybe a, a, again a one and done first round playoff exit kind of guy if they get a, a mature d'angelo russell who is motivated not only for himself financially and and stability wise but for this team i think it could work out but he's got to show that he's capable of doing that and he hasn't done that on a consistent level really his whole career John, real quick, I know you got to get out of here. I wanted your quick thoughts on your conversation with Chris Finch. Um, I, I want to read a quote quickly as well and throw it your way. This is from Chris in your conversation. I thought it was interesting about how he's going to approach this roster. He says, quote, I'm thinking a lot about the tone I want to set when we start. We're not going to be good because we expect to be good. We're not going to be good because we had a good season last year. We're going to be good because of the foundation that we lay from day uh, day one and continue to build on that. So he's, he's taken that clean slate approach, but what did you glean from talking to Chris? Yeah, I think that um, that's the, the point that the coaching staff is going to hammer. And a lot of guys are in town already starting to work out informally and, and camp is a couple weeks away here, but uh, what they are trying to guard against is sort of the letdown season, you know, the Knicks, make the playoffs and they feel really good about themselves and think that everything's going to just come naturally and organically. And then they crater, you know, the, the Atlanta Hawks kind of disappoint after their Eastern conference finals run. And they don't want that to happen with the Timberwolves. They don't want these players to assume that just because they won 46 games and they, you know, they can argue that they could have beaten Memphis in round one, and then they went out and got a an all NBA guy that it's just going to come naturally and everyone's going to kind of bow down. They know the West is going to be brutal this year. And so Finch is really trying to instill kind of an attitude of you haven't done anything yet. You made one playoff run and you're out in the first round. That's not a big deal. Like if you want more, you're still going to have to be you know even hungrier than you were last year. And so there's going to be no real talk more about how fun last year was, how unexpected it was and the good chemistry and all the vibes and all that. It's all going to be 
this team hasn't done anything. And if you're not ready to work, you're going to, you're going to get embarrassed just like some other teams have done after getting a little fat and happy on a, on a little playoff on a, on a little unexpected playoff success. And he's not wrong. You know, the West is brutal. We'll talk on the other side of this break as we let John go about the Lakers and the Kings and all these different teams that, you know, that's great in a vacuum to feel good about what you have going into the season. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy for some of these decent teams to be competing for the plan if if not falling out completely. John, thank you, brother. Get back to that, uh, that Kirk Cousins beat. And uh, we appreciate you, man. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Slater, when we come back, we are going to uh, make the rounds. Like I said, a little bit of Lakers, a little bit of Kings. Uh, Play-in tournament. Not play-in, I'm sorry. In-season tournament. And I'm rusty. Uh, two weeks off. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. All right, sir. We are back. Good stuff from John. I always love hearing his view on the T-Wolves. And uh, we're going to be talking about them all year long. I mean, would you agree, Slater, that if you're just making a, a list of you know, most compelling, fascinating, interesting, you know, situations in the league. They're on that short list. Yeah, especially the first few weeks of the season. I just want to see what it looks like. You know, what does that court, you know, mix like formulate into? And I mean, you mentioned Chris Finch late in the conversation, but I think he is like he might have not the most difficult job of any coach because you know every locker room is different. Like Darvin Ham, who we may get to in a second, has his own challenges. But to me, those are you know more personality based uh you know also schematically but i just like chris finn's like how is he going to put that together because it's it's a potentially good mix but it's just it's not 2022 like in a sense Um, well to that point this is another quote from john's interview with chris that um is really kind of doesn't give you all that much but i found it kind of fascinating that chris was uh was couching his comments in the way he he does here he says when John asked him about the Rudy Carl combo and some of the, the kind of oddities of this lineup and how he was going to handle them, he says, quote, I'm trying not to overthink that right now. I don't want to solve a problem before we have a problem, but we have some ideas ready to go. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a guy that knows that, uh, you know, you might have a square peg, you know, trying to fit into a round hole if you're not careful here. Yeah. You know, like you said, I think I would say they're like a top five, top three league pass team the first couple of weeks of the season. No doubt. Probably on national TV more, too. I don't know. I haven't looked. But Well, here's our pivot and our segue. Um, we mentioned Pat Beverly a minute ago, uh, and I yeah. was wanting to get your thoughts on the Lakers in the context of Pat. Because, first of all, his press conference last week was, you know, one of the recent NBA highlights in, in a slow content time of year. I thought he was really interesting, really open, really compelling. Um, but just like brutally honest, like he always is some of the, the, uh, the quotes that made the rounds for one, when he was talking on air, I believe to Mike Bresnahan of spectrum sports net, uh, you know, Mike says to him, you know, what, what's it going to be like playing with LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And of course, and Pat was not joking. He said, well, they're, they're playing with me. You know, I, I made the playoffs last year and, and that kind of shows you just how Pat is wired And then to the group, you know, he talked about the way he had changed cultures with his last couple teams. And when one of the reporters mentioned Minnesota, he goes out of his way to to add to the list and say, well, don't forget Houston and the Clippers, you know, and and he goes right down the line. So love Pat or hate Pat basketball wise, uh, he's not wrong that he's had significant impact in the last couple of spots he's been in 
Do you have any part of you that thinks that that he has it in him to make a meaningful, substantive impact on this Lakers culture that is, you know, the most tricky in the league, arguably? Yeah, I mean, because he he accepts a role. He accepts the correct role to for a winning team. Um, you know, and it's a lot of ways. You know, you can go. But back is that enough? To, it's got to go past that, right? Like, how does he a role? No, player I mean, not necessarily as far as Hall like he fits into it. You know, we can get into Russ Beverly conversation, but you know, I think you could argue when when the games come down to it, uh, when it's crunch time in the regular season, and certainly by playoff time, like. He fits as the point guard over Westbrook because he's like I was mentioning with the Wolves situation, you know, in comparison to D'Angelo Russell, he does not need to run pick and rolls. He does not need to handle the ball. If LeBron James wants to bring the ball up the court every time, you know, Patrick Beverly, he's going to sprint to the corner, hands ready, like he'll catch and shoot a three if he has to. He's going to go race for a you know a, an offensive rebound, but if he doesn't get it, he's going to sprint back down court. He's going to get in the jersey of Devin Booker or name your score. Um, and that is the type of stuff the Lakers were lacking last year. That's the type of stuff that theoretically Russell Westbrook physically, um, at least from a hustle defensive standpoint, all people always thought he should be able to give. He just hasn't in his career. And then as a shooter, he's just like he's a more polished three-point shooter than, than Russell. He spreads the floor a bit more, which is, as we know, a huge Laker problem. So I just think doing those type of things and so willingly accepting the dirty work role helps the locker room, even if – you know, I don't know. Sets I mean, are you just too. talking about like he needs to go in and like put his, you know, personality stamp all over the locker room? No, no I think honestly, he talked about selflessness, which sounds cliche and like just a trope, but he got into the details even more. And the idea that you're kind of looking at each other in the locker room and saying, you know, what are you personally going to give up in order for us to have success? And it sounds like, you know, a line out of Remember the Titans or something, but it is also very real. And so Patrick Beverly having those types of talking points when you got Russ in the room with a make or break year, in my opinion, when it comes to the back end of his career, because if if Russ is going to dig his heels in, be stubborn, want to just be out there with Russ being Russ, then not only is that not going to work, but I think it's going to be, you know, highlighted even more and look even worse because you have a Pat Beverly in the room who is connecting with the LeBrons and the ADs and, and you know, I think saying the right things and, and being the kind of teammate, the kind of player that they didn't have enough of last year. And Playing on top the of role that, that yeah. a late career Russell Westbrook should try to play, you know. Right, right. Uh, but who yeah. I think we agree is just mentally not there yet. Yeah. Which is but what I makes think it from so a- interesting. I agree, and we'll see again. Like this is probably this might be the last name, right? This is the last year of his contract. I mean, yeah. everything's kind of building up to this, and you know, I think they brought in the correct coach to see if he can really get it out of him, if he can convince Russ to do this. But I don't know. Russ is a smart guy. Maybe at some point he at some point he'll need to decide. Like if he if this is just not how he wants to play, then like you know, it might be a little bit of a sayonara. To well, to, except that you know, to me, last career. time that was already happening in Houston before. With with James Harden, right? Where Russ, you know, we've reported on it at the time. He, he reached a point he wanted to get back to being Russ. But that was two years ago. And there was a landing spot in Washington for him where they were, you know, his old coach, Scott Brooks, was going to let him do that. Those landing spots I don't think exist anymore. And ironically, and this is a point that, that I thought was good and was made the other day in a piece from uh, Rick Buecher at Fox Sports, he's – not that much younger, and you're talking within a year, of Mello 
when Melo had a similar fork in the road in his late career, where the question was, is Melo going to, you know, accept a lesser role or is he going to be stubborn and want to be Melo no matter where he goes? And we know how that went in Oklahoma City. You know, he's laughing about the idea that he'd come off the bench. Took him a long time to get to that place where finally in Portland, you know, he kind of gave in and was productive coming off the bench. And then, you know, had some good moments with the Lakers. Um, Russ age wise is, is right there. So, um, the Darvin Ham component too, let's get you to weigh in on that. Cause I think you have a few thoughts. Darvin and, and Patrick seem to be kind of cut from the same cloth. Um, and I do think, you know, I, I might be occasionally guilty of buying in too much to messaging and, and what guys say and whether or not it has a real impact on the floor. But, you know, I do think Darvin sounds like somebody who has the personality, the experience and, and the ability and the presence to at least early on try to make this thing work in, in a healthier way than they had last season. Because if you remember last year, not only did you have, you know, Frank Vogel getting, you know, like the the least, uh, what's the word, you know, kind of, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Just his extension was one year. So, it, hey, congrats, you get an extension. Does not exactly show great faith from the organization. They had also lost Jason Kidd to Dallas, and he was a major kind of support system for him with the stars on that team. I think Darvin might be able to cut through that type of stuff and, and make a difference here. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, again, you mentioned the Carmelo situation. One of the things Carmelo had going well for him is how good of a shooter he is. And and as he aged, he could be a, a spot-up floor spacer. That's the concern with Russ. Yeah, what like, is Russ's version of that? Yeah. You know, he, he obviously, like, you know, forever we've talked about he needs to, to, to learn how to cut off ball, and he could be a dangerous cutter if he – committed himself to it i mean obviously there's skepticism that'll ever happen um the way they're talking to me it seems like they want his focus to be like how can i be a disruptive yet still um you know i guess uh, you know cognizant team defender which he hasn't been there's been times where he's been near the league leading steals and he can get out and he can get a pick six every once in a while but like you know being kind of beverly like in a sense and that's where i do kind of like the beverly edition because not only if you sit him on the the bench, you could say, hey, look, this is what we want you to do. You can almost kind of point, like, look what Beverly's doing. See how that is helping win this game, potentially. But then the bigger, bigger question is, you know, uh, Russ, who we know what his history is with Patrick Beverly and, and what he properly thinks of his career. Just will he accept the idea of, like, you need to play like Patrick Beverly. Hey, that might be I mean, tough. they claim they can play but together. Um, I will, the last thing I want to say. Yep. You know, you're you're bringing Ham in. You did clearly they did the Beverly move with like not even thinking about Russ. Um, they've they've at least dangled the idea of trading Russ. Like they're he only has one more year left. Like they have much more leverage in the situation with Russ than they did last year when it was two years left on the deal, and they were really really trying to make it work with him. I think they're in a little bit of a situation this season where it's like, look, if you want to make it work with us, great. But if you don't, they're not tied to him as much. All right, let's uh, jump to another topic. We end up talking a lot of Lakers for for good reason. They're very interesting. But um, let's feed that Warriors audience of yours that uh, that is waiting on the edge of its seat to find out what Andre Iguodala is going to do. Who you got to log on to the podcast. The Who will be the fourteenth player? <laughs> you're you're not going to. I hate to, to. You're not going to find out on this podcast. I don't think. But apparently, according yeah. to Andre, you're going to find out on his podcast at some point. What What's your sense of that situation? It's great marketing by Andre. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, look, the the Warriors 
uh, veterans slash coaches that matter want him back. And I mean, you know, he didn't play that much last season. Uh, he, he, it was very difficult for him to get on the floor in the playoffs. He kept having like a neck issue that limited him. So at this point, if he comes back, like, I think the Warriors are not counting like, ooh, we can get great wing minutes, you know, in the second round from Iguodala. He's going to give us 20 minutes. I think it's more like it's completely they want him as just they just want the personality in the locker room. Basically, He's, in a lot of ways. In, in, to keep in, it with in, the Lakers, they're, they're Jared Dudley from a few years ago. You know, Udonis Haslam is a comparison yeah, uh, that, sure. that some have made, uh, you know, with Miami. And, and Iguodala was in Miami and, and saw what Haslam did. And Iguodala, you know, he wants – he's – he knows when he still plays, like he had some of it. There was times last season he could play. Like if he was physically able to play that night and gave 20 minutes, he could a lot of times give 20 pretty solid minutes, but they clearly want him in the locker room to help the young guys, to help the veterans, uh, to just, just be kind of a, a wise head in the room in a lot of ways, just be a really, really highly paid, highly valued assistant coach who does not want to be a coach in his future. And and some would argue, hey, why don't you just join the coaching staff, essentially? That's not what Andre Iguodala views his post-career looking like. So they're kind of trying to convince him, like, come back, take a roster spot, be a coach, and he's trying to decide, does he physically want to try to play still? Because he will still try to play if he comes back. Um, and does he, Or is he ready for a post-career that, which, by the way, I think me and you both know, he's probably going to have a pretty lucrative you know, fulfilling post career. So he's going to be successful, but I, I was going to ask you, like, do you have any clarity on w- what he is thinking basketball wise? You know, if that's even part of the puzzle, um, you said no interest in coaching. Is he potentially looking at, you know, a front office role with them, any sort of advisor role? I mean, do you see him trying to stay attached to the Warriors when he does hang it up? I mean, I think he would be willing to be around. He lives in the Bay, likes it. Family lives there. Um, my sense, and again, like I'm not, I'm not like reporting like I had some, just had some conversation with him or not. But he's made it clear, like he does not want to be an assistant coach. Certainly not right away. A lot of guys go into their career, figure it out for a few years, and decide, hey, I do want to get back in the game. But I think he's going to definitely explore stuff beyond basketball after his career. And as with the front and office, what about I mean, he's yeah, front office wise? What? You got Mike Dunleavy, you got yeah. Livingston, you got his guys, and then you have him as most of his career spent on the Players Association board. And he's he's had a mind for it for a long time. Any any interest there? You think he he'd be great at it, uh, yeah. and he would he would have a job waiting for him uh, with the Warriors certainly. And he's seen Livingston make that transition. But again, Sean Livingston when he left, he didn't know he wanted to to get in the front office, and and he explored other stuff and like really got away from it. I really talking to some retired players. I've chatted with Nick Collison, for example, about this. Usually that first year, you just kind of want to separate yourself. And, and, you know, stick to your thoughts. Like, what what should I do? You know, wh- where should my the rest of my life take me? And then some guys decide to get back into it. Mike Dunleavy is a great example. Mike Dunleavy was out of the game for a little while, got dipped his toes in the front office with the Warriors. Like, they made him kind of a pro scout. He was living in New York. He was like, man, I love this. And now he's like deep into it. He's like risen to basically right under Bob Myers in the front office and probably has future GM possibilities um, just because he's really into it. I, I just don't think Andre, at least right away, wants to jump into that. We'll see maybe down the line, but, you know, uh, I just – I think he'll, my guess is he'll get away from the game for a while. Right. All right, good stuff. Let's end on this note. Uh, do you have any strong feelings, my friend, on the, the league's in-season tournament? We we have reporting from our Sham Sharania just a couple days ago that to give people the particulars real quick that it would – 
be implemented as soon as the 2023-24 season. Um, you would be looking at having cup games through November. Eight teams advance to single elimination final in December. The other 22 continue with the regular season. All games are part of a normal 82-game schedule. You got one extra game for the two final teams um, and the potential for $1 million per player in prize money. What say you on this front? Yeah, I think the prizes matter here. Um, and the I think I saw it might have been Mark Cuban uh, floated to Mark Stein the idea of like, you know, you expand the draft and whoever wins it gets like the first pick of the third round or fourth round. In the fourth whatever. round, yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, you could talk, oh, you trim tax money or, you know, you give, you just give some type of payment to a franchise. That's not going to appeal to the players. To me, the only way to actually make this a competitive, you know, worth, you know, a tournament midseason worth watching is if the players play like it's beyond a regular season game and care about it beyond a regular season game. Cause that's what makes playoff basketball great, right? Just like the hunger from the guys on the court to win the game. Uh, and if they don't care what the prize are, if you're giving their franchise a million bucks or they're, you're giving them a, the first pick of the third round of the upcoming draft, they what, why does Draymond Green care about that? So they can draft your replacement. That yes, doesn't exactly. incentivize you very much. Yeah, so they can add a first pick of the third round to a trade to trade you away. <laughs> exactly. um, so, so, I mean, that's like I'm just you know envisioning my mind or body going a year, a year and a half from now, and it's November, and I'm – you know, Draymond's at the podium and I'm like, y'all got a big, you know, cup game tomorrow. What do you think about it? He's like, eh, you know, I don't even think I'm so much play. condescension coming from you. You have yeah. to, the players have to embrace it or else it, nobody will care. So is a million bucks per player enough to incentivize them? Are you only giving a million to the winner? Like, you know, every player on the roster of the winning team gets a million. I mean, obviously they're discussing all this right now. They're discussing it, yeah. I mean, the way it's written in the piece we had indicates that that's my read of it. Um, and listen, the reality is, I don't know the the average salary right now. It's obviously significantly more than that. But role players, you know, non-superstars, a million bucks is, is not nothing. I mean, you know, we, we joked about Rudy Gobert's $60 million opt-in a few years from now guys like that are not going to be necessarily you know getting up with more adrenaline that morning because of the financial component um i do like the idea though in general that i don't know how the league gets here but of making these games worth something during the course of 82 because um you know european soccer has got this thing locked down when it comes to games mattering the nfl has this locked down when it comes to games mattering and as, as great as the NBA is, and I think the product is in a really good place, just way too many meaningless games where you turn it on in, in January, February, and there's not a lot of incentive for the casual fan to keep watching because there's not much on the line and guys are not hitting the floor uh, in terms of the level of competition. Um, so I do like the idea that they're trying to be creative here and, and do something to fix that. What if you did like a guaranteed playoff spot? And, and sure, there'd be teams like, you know, if you're the Celtics or something, you're having a great season, you're like – you know, whatever. We don't need a guaranteed playoff spot. We basically already have one. But imagine if it is the Kings, if you are the, you know, I don't know, the the Hawks and you're hot at the time at, at that time. Like 
you could lock in. Like, imagine if the Kings had a chance if with like a four game winning streak, a five game winning streak to just, you know, stamp their playoff spot in December or something like that. That's tricky, though, because you're talking about the play in tournament having been a, a major addition. So, I mean, are you giving people a play in spot or are you, are you giving them the sixth seed in the West, you know, or the East? Maybe you give them the sixth yeah. seed. That's brutal. I don't know, but then I don't like, know how I feel about it, that. You like ah, don't even care about no January, way. February, no, March. you can't you can't be gimmicky with the sixth seed. I do like the idea. You know, it's the same logic that the league applied to the playing tournament. Is that historically, you know, you just don't have eight seeds shocking the world, and they might survive a first round matchup, but you are not, you know, meaningfully impacting the title contender level of teams by being a little creative with the eight spot. Um, I I like the fact that what you're talking about would incentivize teams and players a whole lot more, but you might be getting a little too uh, showing too many liberties with that that group at the end of the the playoffs. But they gotta do something. They probably tried this version of it, see if it works. Um, and I think it'll probably be imperfect, and it's not going to be as much of a success as the playing tournament has been. But you know, over the course of time, I think the league is going to find a way to make regular season games matter a whole lot more. Yeah, I mean. I like the, uh, I guess, just the the attempt because right. I mean, we, me and you both know. I mean, you're sitting there in December, January, February, and you know it's it's very rare to get a regular season game where you're going to the arena like big one tonight, you know? right? Right. And and I, they're trying to get that it, not only for you know the people that going to the games, covering the games, playing the games, but like they needed an audience. They need ratings on on some of these games and they're trying to figure out a way to get that. Right. Absolutely. All right, brother. Good stuff. Been a couple of weeks. Good to see you again rocking that Oklahoma State hat. You're such a proud alum. 2 and 0. There Hopes you go. 2 and 0. All right. I think my uh, my my juggernaut Sac State Hornets are 1 and 0. So take that, buddy. I think How about the a, early bye week? I know, early bye week. It's all right. It's all right. Undefeated, I think. Hopefully, I'm I'm correct You're about correct. that. <laughs> That's what I, I believe. But all right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Like John said earlier, before you know it, we'll be, or you said Slater, we'll be doing it every week again. Camp is in a couple of weeks. We are almost there. The summer is coming to a close. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody.